This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Evangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. Today's guest is Kyle Parton. He's another friend of mine from college, and in this episode, we talk about war, defining evangelicalism, alternate models of salvation, other religious traditions, and pluralism, all surfacey stuff, you know? He also makes me doubt the title of the show a little bit, and has planted the seed for an on-being aka the show formerly known as Speaking of Faith style rebranding, if it comes to that. But that's down the line. There are a few ways you can support Exvangelical. We have a Patreon up at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod, where you can chip in and ensure the show keeps going strong. But just as important, however, is simply this. Tell someone about the show. Follow us on social media. We're at exvangelicalpod on Twitter. We're on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash exvangelical pod so follow me in both those locations like me fave my tweets appreciate all that um you can also rate and review the show on itunes please give us a five-star rating and leave a review if you're so inclined you can also follow me on twitter at pr chastain as well also if you have any thoughts about the show you can email me at exvangelical at gmail.com do you have any thoughts on a particular show am i saying the word evangelical wrong all my guests say evangelical, so I'm doubting myself a little bit. But I think it'd be a little off-brand, so I don't think there's any, any way for me to back out of that now. All right, uh, I do apologize for the quality of this intro. I'm traveling and don't have my mic with me, but the quality of the conversation itself is great, and I can't wait to hear from you guys and what you think. All right, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. Today I have with me uh, my friend uh, once again from college. We had I, we had a great college, <laughs> despite um, some some stories that have surfaced from it. Um, I have with me my friend uh, Kyle Parton. He is the director at Epiphany Publishing. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, yeah, thank you so much. I, I'm I don't know. I'm beside myself. I'm so excited to be on this. And I'm I set these little goals. It, one is okay. I'm not going to say any bad words this time here. We're going to get through this because there's a slim chance my mom's going to listen to it. And so I'm, I'm making a list right now of the words I cannot say, and I'm just putting these on my monitor. Uh, okay, got it. I'm good. Okay. All right, cool. good. Okay, just just to keep that in keep that in your sight, and we'll, we'll be all right. <laughs> I'll guide you through. <laughs> yeah, and no, you would be. This is so fitting. So I'm wearing a shirt right now that. It was probably the last um, powerfully evangelical church we went to. It's like we went in the door, my wife and I, and they're like, put a bag of goodies in our hand. I got a T-shirt out of it. I got a keychain. And it's like about $40 worth of stuff. And it, <laughs> it, and I'm just like, you could have fed people. or I don't know. So I just thought it's fitting. I'm just wearing this shirt. 
I guess I won't say the church name, but um, I'm ready to go, man. I'm so ready. There you go. Did the church have a coffee shop inside? It, it did. It was okay. nice. I mean, yeah. I'll just yeah. And they could do some cappuccino art on top of there. On on top of there. Or some foam there, art. Foam art's the right term. There, foam art. Was foam art. You, you're not going to paint a caricature of it that is not true. So whatever <laughs> is in your head, it was there. And I'm just, I mean, hey, it's easy to throw stones, but um, it struck me as <laughs> That is apropos, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's get a little bit of background about you to get things started, Cal. Um, you, to my knowledge, you grew up right around the Kokomo area in Indiana, correct? Yeah, I'm I'm a Hoosier, um, and if not for some of the adventures I went on, I guess in the Marine Corps, I probably would have stayed um, right, you know, right in the Bible Belt, right in the buckle. Um, yeah, Kokomo, Indiana, cornfields, the whole the whole bit. Um, it, it was legit Hoosier experience. So, what was that like for you? Me, um, so, I mean, I'm trying to think of like an interesting way to describe it, and there's there's probably not anything. Um, I mean, Kokomo is, if you've got the sports thing going for you, all right, you're in, I guess there's like logistics, transportation, that type of thing. Um, I probably in response to the boredom, I like plunged just face and soul first into, you know, the youth group culture, um, into scripture, I I can say. Um, and I mean, I I was, (laughs) this is going to come out sooner or later. So let's just put it out there. I was a really well-adjusted youth. I mean, totally emotionally regulated, totally balanced, um, and never was extreme about anything. And so, um, you know, I, I went in pretty hard into the, the evangelical subculture. Um, you know, that term, I couldn't have told you what that term means. Um, I think I know now what it means. Maybe I don't. Um, but that, you know, so my childhood was pretty marked by my picture Bible. Um, by you know loving parents oh my gosh loving family i i can't think of anything else they could have done to like you know do it right quote right and to raise me right and so good a, a positive upbringing um i couldn't ask for anything you know more nurturing i suppose so you you mentioned that you got really into youth group culture and you had was that more was that a um, sort of personal impulse that you had or was it was it encouraged by your family I always I always find that part interesting as well Yeah Um so yeah I, I guess I should say I know behind the scenes it was encouraged by my family well facilitated um you know my dad it was just this pillar um, of industriousness and like faith and action. Um, and so I guess I was, I was primed towards, you know, uh, a religious outlook and a relationship with God. Um, and the whole family was that way. But that being said, I mean, I, I have, I don't know, man, I'm a mystic. Like there's always been something in me that has drawn me towards, uh, God, and I could give you a dozen different terms for that and what that process looks like. But um, no, it was just in the cards for me. Um, there's something in my mind and in my heart that has always pulled me to explore divinity. Um, and yeah, so a little bit of a family thing pulling me there. But also, uh, I mean, it's, it's just in my genes. It's yeah. my 
Yeah, it's me. I can, I can, I can empathize with that for sure. I, I was very similar. I, well, I yeah. also grew up in a similar sort of environment. I grew up in yeah. Crop, in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Um, so in also just central Indiana. Um, and you know, not, I don't know. Central Indiana to me is interesting. Like Northern Indiana has the pull of Chicago. Um, yeah. and like it gets a, it takes things from, for its culture from Chicago. And then my, <laughs> my, my family that lives near, near Louisville, like the, they call the area Kentuckiana. I mean, that's hey, like, <laughs> hey, hey, what? okay. So, and they all have Southern accents and it's great. And you know, um, and then other people, other parts of the city pull from Cincinnati, but central yeah. Indiana is just kind of this like vacuum. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, it's just the home, the heartland. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, my family, yeah. my family was, uh, was a, a great family to grow up in and, like, uh, we went on every year and we would, my parents, um, would use their vacation time every summer to, uh, take us all, take our whole family. And this was part of what our church did is they took entire families to, uh, an area in South Carolina, um, just outside of, uh, Charleston yeah. and we'd build homes for people in need. And oh, that was wow. like super formative. I mean, I started going on it when I was five. And I went on it until yeah. I was like fourteen or fifteen. Um, yeah. It was it was like a, a major thing. But I also had I also had those sort of you know, like religious compulsions that yeah. uh, there there was an inner drive that like sustained through those through that time. I mean that was very formative and everything else involved in church going and everything. But there's also very much a an inner drive, um, to kind of explore those sorts of questions. So, yeah. So that kept you going all through, uh, that inner drive. Did it keep you going all through middle school, high school, all those sorts of phases uh, of your life? Yeah. Those, those wonderfully balanced phases of my life. <laughs> um, yeah, it did. I mean, if anything, it was kind of the pillar of my identity. Um, at least in my own mind, I guess. And I, you know, just like thinking through kind of, again, again, to say the pillars of evangelical ideals, what those are, um, man, I, I was like the paragon of the evangelical kind of champion where I, you talk about evangelism or like reading scriptures and like a high view of scriptures that, that was my childhood. I used to go, I was thinking about this the other day. I used to go to Walmart and with select friends, we would do this and I would go to the romance novel section, you know, that the forbidden lusty aisle of shirtless (laughs) Fabio's. And I would, I would hide a Bible behind these romance novels and I would kind of just play it cool. Like, wait, you know, Oh, I'm just, I'm just looking and I'm just 14 year old kid looking at romance novels. And then when some unsuspecting woman would come by, I just straight be like, do you like love stories? And they, you know, they're like, why are you talking to me? This is Indiana. We don't talk to people. And I'd be like, because if you like love stories and then I'd slide the books away to show the Bible. And then this, in this, like a moment, you know, be like, if you like love stories, let me tell you about the greatest love story. And like, I just did this stuff for fun. What, what normal kid does this? Um, and I did it for years 
I mean, the ideas I came up with, um, bless past version of myself. I mean, like I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I did for fun. Um, and, and to be fair, I think that makes God happy. Um, I don't know what God would look at something like that and not be like, that's so stinking cute. Um, but that's no, that's what I did. And it took me all the way through, um, yeah, middle school, high school. Um, and it's not until I guess, uh, my prefrontal cortex developed fully towards late high school, uh, college that I really started getting into philosophy and, uh, you know, nothing hit the brakes on that passion for God until, um, I guess I did. My brain did. Um, <laughs> and not that it's either or, but there's just, there's a, there's a certain tension that I imagine you know about um, when you start getting into the philosophic literature out there. Um, so no, that, that carried me through um, wonderfully. And then um, did that factor into where you decided to go to college? We met at college, which is a, a Christian yeah. college, right? Right. Right. in that area so yeah um that factored into where you decided to look for schools um yeah that i mean in retrospect it's so funny to be like why did i go to that school um it, there was almost and i mean i guess i'm being cynical towards myself here but there was almost like a, a solid stream of people from my church going there and it's like a riptide you know where it's like oh if person a you respect goes there and person b you respect goes there there's a current, you know, and so of course it's God's will that you would go there. Why wouldn't it be? And I think that was the only school I uh, I applied to. Um, and the plan, the capital P plan, um, was ministry at least to to a certain degree. Um, and if that was going to be music ministry or if that was going to be full blown preaching, who knows now. Um, but that's what led me to the evangelical institution. Um, and so, yeah, I went, I, you know, I explored music and music theory, that type of thing, and then thought, you know, let's pair that up nicely with um, you know, what I thought was like a theology degree, um, philosophy, world religions. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert for all those high school <laughs> seniors out there. That's not the same thing. Um, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to spoil that for people, but uh, it's better you hear it from me now than, you know. <laughs> discover when you're reading David Hume. Um, I know. So that was the plan was go there, get the ministry thing going on. Um, and that, that worked for a bit, I think. Um, and then it just, you know, it gets fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. there. The story is so clear cut up to that point. Um, and uh, yeah. So, yeah, it took me took me there to the institution of which I guess we do not name. Uh, we and, can. I, I honestly, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's honestly like a gag at this point. <laughs> I'm well, sick. I'm not gonna be the one to let the cat out of the bag, <laughs> so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep the roots going because that's totally fine. fine. <laughs> it's really not that hard to figure out. <laughs> Trust yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> just just look in the area that the areas that we're mentioning. There's, there's yeah. <laughs> but I like the mystique as well. It's like, yeah, is this, what's this like? Oh, yeah, was this like Stanford? <laughs> I don't know. It could be anywhere. Could be anywhere. Know. So many, so many schools have Christian roots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um. So, anyways, yeah. I 
honestly, it's it's pretty much a gag at this point. Yeah. But uh, but it's kind of fun to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. That, no. Well, I'm uh, participating. And my so now it's like a choose your own adventure. It's like so I can go back and and kind of retrospectively interpret this stuff a few different ways. But yeah. here's what I know to be true about Kyle Parton, um, based on historical evidence. The rest is open to speculation, I guess. Um, I got in, you know, you get through your freshman year, your, your sophomore year, maybe. You get the sophomore kind of enlightenment set upon you where you realize that, oh my gosh, you know, everything I believed is only a certain paradigm, and I don't know what's true anymore. Um, and, and I started having to, I mean, it's the standard issue crisis of faith where you realize that like I was raised as spiritually in a very specific set of ideas, very rigid evangelical kind of framework, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not, you know, judging myself, I guess. Um, but as that tension started building, um, nine 11 happened. And one of my best friends in the world, um, was, you know, in the mix. I think he was in Iraq right around that time. Um, and, and he almost died. He was like, he took a couple hard shots and, uh, and, you know, I got blown up and, and it just, I don't know, it punched me in the soul. Um, and it suddenly kind of, it, it made me think, you know what, like for all the philosophic and theological anxieties that are building now, maybe, maybe I can like take a hiatus. Um, and shelf some of the stuff, and I don't know. Join the Marine Corps. <laughs> there, there are lots of ways to reconcile um, doubt, and one of them—it's not the only one—but one of them is to just take ten years and go join the Marine Corps. Um, and there are lots of other options. But um, so that's what I did. Um, I made it through the majority of my college there. Um, my college experience with some degree of faith intact. Um, but again, when, when you don't know that what you have is a paradigm and, and then that paradigm crumbles, it, it sure feels like you lost your faith. You don't realize that you lost a certain expression of your faith or a certain model of salvation. No, I, feels like the bottom fell out um and i lived for years with the fear of damnation um and yes war didn't really help that much either but um and so yeah i um things got bad enough for my own faith that i was like let's let's take a little breaky poo um and join the marine corps which i can explain more it's not like i just threw a dart at all vocations in the world and came up with the most unbalanced one to fit my personality <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, so that's where the plot twist for me first took over, I suppose. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty big swerve. Um, <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> in retrospect. Like, yeah. It is like, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, so a little bit of personal history. Um, it was my sophomore year. I think it may have been your freshman year. Um, yeah. we lived across the hall from each other in a that's dorm right. and, uh, and I knew you as this this guy with a very ambitious double major. 
you had honestly you had a music composition major which i knew a handful of music majors and they were i they were worked to the bone and then yeah. you also tackled religion and philosophy which um yeah. my roommate two out of four years um besides some dalliances with some other majors ended up being um a religion and philosophy major and yeah, so yeah, like yeah. even even though uh, even though I that wasn't my major, I there were enough people within my orbit that I knew um, from both of those things that it was a very a very heavy load. And that there, here's this very cerebral, very kind man, uh, <laughs> Kyle Parton. And then learning that you had decided to enroll in the Marines, I I am um, I didn't and I don't know if this is out of turn, but I didn't see that coming. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like, and I, I know we weren't like, we, we, at, at, we, we knew each other well, I I would like to say, but yeah. you know, I, I definitely wasn't part of any sort of discussion where you, any sort of like college discussion, <laughs> like burning the midnight oil where you're, where you're, you know, like laboring over this decision. Um, yeah. so I learned about it after the fact, um, and you know, like it definitely uh, drove the point home when I attended uh, your wedding, and you were in your yeah. full regalia, and it was wonderful, <laughs> you know. But it was just like a, it was like a total unexpected thing. Um, so yeah, because of the the way you frame people in your head, and you know, right. you know how that goes. You just have an idea of someone. Um, you don't you don't know their entire story. You don't know all of that, but um, right. but that was my external perspective. Um, but the way, you know, you, you've kind of described it since then, even with our, uh, our, us leading up to this discussion, you mentioned that one kind of through line there is that it was an idea of service and you, uh, that kind of compelled you from a possible ministry that as your, as your ideas about faith changed and, um, I believe you said like your paradigm began to crumble a bit that didn't seem to be the right fit for you at the time. And then you, but you parlayed that idea of service into a completely different sort of service. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah, definitely. I definitely want to unpack that a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I, I will, I will leave it up to you for, for where you want to start <laughs> with that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the danger is like, I, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Like I, I'm, I've done enough work to like kind of face my own demons that now I'm completely casual on talking about them. And sometimes people uh, underestimate that and they're like, ask me weird questions. I'm like, oh, I'm going to give you weird answers about it. <laughs> or if you, if you want to ask me weird questions, um, I'm not going to get shocked by it. No. Um, but no, that's yeah. So maybe some other background I had thought, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, I had thought about, uh, joining the Marine Corps in high school. And it's like, it's something like 40% of the males in my graduating class joined the Marine Corps. It's some amazing number. Wow. That is like crazy. You know, when the, when the bug kind of gets you, um, oh boy, it's got you. And, um, so I, I was not immune to the bug. Um, and let's, let's be real. The Marine Corps has an amazing propaganda machine. I mean, absolutely amazing. And they know how to appeal to all different types of people. Um, so the hooks were in there. But it was like, you know what? 
ministry is at the forefront of my mind. Let's do this. Go to college, pursue the ministry thing. If it doesn't work out or whatever, I can revisit the Marine Corps deal. Um, if, you know, but if all goes well, then, hey, you know, I'm going to follow the path that God leads me. Um, so it's not, you know, that was a lot of internal back and forth to myself, but it's not completely out of nowhere. Um, although usually that's the way the Marine Corps is. It's like someone just comes home, like my brother-in-law. They they come home and they're like, I joined the Marine Corps. And, you know, the parents are like, I, I, the Peace Corps? You did what? It's like, no, no, I'm shipping out tomorrow. It's just the way, I don't know. It's the way it works. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So what was going on in the head of, of me back then? I I know I can tell you. I've always had, I don't know how else to put it, I guess a pastoral orientation. Um, I've, I care about people um, in a way that I guess I only see pastors do. And I'm not saying I'm a pastor material or something like that, but I, I have that orientation. And that's never gone away. Um, and so there is a bit of compatibility in terms of like, you know, leading service members um and the way i looked at it i guess is like all right i can't lay out 10 reasons why i want to do this why i want to join i can tell you for a fact that i will regret this for the rest of my life if i don't get in on this now i knew it was going to be a significant page in america's history i wanted to be a part of it um and it was like you know what these guys though these marines these like testosterone fueled danger to self and other marines out there they need people to look after them and and maybe i was rationalizing it but it was like no you know what i meant like yeah it's a different clerical color but it's still service um and so that's what i did it jumped in did 10 years um yeah right right after marrying my, my beautiful wife um and yeah so it translates to a degree um it was also just an amazing sabbatical away from the crisis of faith I was having. Um, and it, it, it did more for me than I can ever describe. If nothing else, it just threw me into a global culture. It threw me into direct contact with, I don't know, Islamic fundamentalism. It threw me into different expressions of life and faith. And it got me out of Indiana. I mean, I don't know. There's, there are a dozen perks to it. Um, there are, the dents, you know, that it put in me too, um, which is less about the Marine Corps and more about war, I guess, um, or just dents I put in myself. Um, but yeah, that <laughs> that was the plot twist of it all <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, w- well, let's do this choose your own adventure style. We can either yeah, go, yeah. <laughs> we can we can either go back and kind of explore. Um, the sort of issue, the sort of issues you faced, um, in addressing your evangelical framework, your paradigm that that you mentioned started to change in uh in college, yeah, and kind of go back, step back a little bit chronologically, or we can go forward and and talk a little bit about your your time. I can um, we can talk a little bit about your time in uh at war uh, in the Marines and how that sort of exposure 
began to give you more insight into your own past. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about all this in the present, so it's really, it's really up to you about the, the best way you, you think you'd like to frame those sorts of things. Sure. But I, what I'd like to do is kind of, um, get from you a little bit about where you saw, let's call them shortcomings or yeah. things oh, that yeah, you've, yeah. things that you felt, were no longer satisfactory explanations for the way you saw the world yeah. um, within evangelicalism and the evangelicalism you were being taught and the evangelicalism yep. you believed and participated in. Um, and then how that sort of began to, that, that sort of change continued through your time in, uh, in the Marines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sure there's a way to weave this all together beautifully. Um, so let's fire one way into the future, like tell the whole Marine Corps story in 60 seconds, and then we can kind of circle back and, and weave things together as need be. Sure. And um, also, um, this could absolutely be a great time to kind of talk a little bit more generally about what evangelicalism is is as well, just kind of what that what that might mean and how you frame that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's a big thing I want to do as well is, um, I mean, these are conversations I, I try with, with some, I don't know, with some tech, sometimes less than other times. Um, I try to have these conversations with people and it's like you get in sometimes five, 10 minutes into the conversation. And a lot of times it's like, okay, hold on, wait, can we back up? Cause I'm not sure I know what you mean when you say evangelical. Because the way you're describing it is just it's like Christian stuff. You're just talking about the Bible and the cross, and uh, and that's just Christianity. It's like, okay, so this is a great opportunity to kind of spell that out. Um, I'm for sure the least academic and the least intellectually sophisticated person you've had on this show so far. And so I'd love <laughs> to do it from like the lay, just like, you know, the brothers and sisters and moms and dads out there. What does this even mean? Why what beef does that Blake Chastain guy have against it? Uh, um, and, and what does that look like, you know, afterwards? What is post-evangelical faith? What in the world does that even mean? Um, yeah, let's, that'd be good. Um, All right, so, yeah, so let's, let's start there, and let's kind of talk about that, and then talk about your, um, talk about, talk about what that is, talk about uh, your time in the Marines, and then we'll circle back to, kind of piecing together how things started to crumble a little bit and then yeah. how do you re how you piece things back together how you moved forward yeah through, through the marines and ever since so yeah okay so the way i mean in my twisted brain the way i look at it is there's probably three meaningful uh aspects of e the evangelical worldview that you can start to define it um in. And that's one is a propositional sense. What are the things you have to actually do and believe to be a card carrying evangelical? Okay, that's one. Um, the second is like a cultural sense where there are some fuzzier, less um, less theological aspects that still weave themselves into what it means to be an evangelical. Um, and then there are even some developmental aspects that I think I don't hear a lot of people talk about this, but in terms of developmental psychology or any of developmental sciences, there are a few perspectives you can take to look at um, 
what has to happen developmentally to be a functional evangelical and what has to happen for someone to move on out of the evangelical kind of worldview, a few developmental things have to happen. You've got to hit a few criteria, which could be fun to talk about here. Um, but the so the second one, the cultural aspect, this is the trickiest part of it. Um, and I hate, <laughs> I, I wish I could think of another analogy, but evangelical thought can manifest in the same way racism can manifest. Here we go. I'm not saying they're <laughs> comparable. I'm saying they can manifest socioculturally in similar ways. And that's this. So there are certain beliefs you have to have to be an evangelical. In the same way, there are people who like propositionally believe that race A is superior to race B. You know, you're an active racist if you, um, you know, if you embrace these things. Um, and, and so what gets tricky, though, is there's a whole nother element of racism that doesn't really have to do with what you think about Native Americans or Germans or African Americans. It's not about like who's superior. It's a systemic issue. There are manifestations of that thinking that over time have influenced the system. Um, and, in, and if you're born into a place that is naturally privileged from those kind of influences you're not going to see it i mean for me i'm just like demographically there there's nothing interesting about me at all i'm this white male middle class tax-paying citizen that all my life has enjoyed some degree of white privilege and it's not until mid-college or late college maybe even after college that i even saw that second form of what racism is um where it's like no 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 nobody look around you you are benefiting from these ideas that have slowly been planted and germinated in our culture. The problem is you have to look for it to see it if you're one who uh, benefits from it. You know, because I say, oh, I, I don't believe that white people are superior to whatever. I must not be a racist. But no, no, there's a cultural aspect to it, too. So parallel. There are evangelical kind of propositions you have to affirm. There's also kind of an evangelical manifestation in culture that if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see. And if you were raised in it, it's sure as heck going to be normal for you. Um, probably three things. One is the patriarchy. You know, go patriarchy. You're going to naturally privilege the role of the male over the female um, in just read Paul, right? You know, I'm just doing what the Bible says. There's some sexism in there. You know, watch watch your blood pressure whenever a feminist talks. You know, if your blood pressure goes up, um, you've probably got some evangelical kind of cultural influences that you need to work through. Um, <laughs> the third one is just generically conservatism. It, you know, it, whenever you can be conservative, you should be conservative. To be conservative is to be holy. That is to be safe. These are evangelical ideas, although you might not ever affirm them or say, yeah, yeah, I read that in the Bible. Um, and it's it's there that you start to see the, um, the kind of devious entanglement of the Republican Party and the evangelical movement, um, which, you know, you've, you've pretty well injured that horse, if not <laughs> since... <laughs> to Dante's Inferno already, so I, I won't kick it too much. But it's there. And and if you don't look for it, you won't see it. Um, so to 
connect all of this. The cultural aspects of it, I had, yeah, I'd inherited some of this stuff. What the Marine Corps did was propel me into a completely other culture. So it was like purging a lot of the ideas that I had grown up embracing. Um, it, not just ideas, but it's also like it threw me into a place where I was the minority. I mean, for a long time, we either lived in Texas or California, or, or I was in Iraq or Afghanistan, where you being a white guy there, uh, you know, you're, you're not the same kind of privilege that you have here in Indiana or something. Um, and that was amazing for me. That was m much overdue. Um, and so what deployments, what the whole Marine Corps experience did for me was give me a much more global context, kind of throw some smelling salts in my face about the cultural um, ideas I had inherited that are so prevalent in the evangelical enterprise, I guess. Um, and it's like th those didn't flesh out per se, but I was aware of them suddenly. Um, and that let me kind of respond to them where in the past they were just, they were just assumptions, you know, oh, yeah, women naturally should be subservient to men. I mean, that's just, it's just the Bible. I'm not interpreting it. I'm just telling you what it's saying. Right. It's my, yeah, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I'll weave back and forth in that, but that's, to me, there's a cultural aspect of evangelical thought that manifests as well. I'm just hoping that made sense. What do you think? I mean, is that something you see as well? I think you did a great job really summarizing a lot of the the big um big threads, the a lot of the patterns and everything that that happened yeah. through throughout evangelicalism. Uh I mean, patriarchy is absolutely there. Uh absolutely there in so many insidious ways. Um yeah, the cultural stuff, it's really very um very entrenched, especially generationally. If, if someone grew up evangelical and I'm complete and total side note, I'm really <laughs> doubting my pronunciation pronunciation of evangelical. Everybody says evangelical. <laughs> no, you be you. I'm going don't to be you me. Be influenced. <laughs> don't you, don't you do it. You're the one with like four history degrees. And the, like <laughs> no. you, you just, you're giving me way too much credit. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, so yeah, and the cultural, the cultural stuff is very insidious and, uh, and in so many weird, weird ways, either through, um, either through music or yeah. your own cloistered bookstores, all these different avenues for, for that. I think, I think you did a, a great job really, uh, really summarizing that. Um, and there's a lot that just completely rings true. I'm, I'm in, um, what man, I heard a term just like rousing agreement with you. <laughs> like, yeah. like I, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just agree with you very much. Um, cool. <laughs> so, okay. um, so yeah. Well, and, and that one's still, that's hard for people to see, or let's just be real. If you have no interest in seeing that, well, the conversation's pretty much over. Um, you know, you're not going to see it. Um, and that's what's so hard is you have to look for it like any bias or like any privilege. You yeah. have to look for it. And so really you have to have a reason to look for it. Yeah. Well, if it's working, why would you want to mess around with that at all? Um, yeah. Um, and one of my favorite, one of my favorite anecdotes from college uh, was, I think I was in a new Testament 
um, class, and the professor uh, asked us to look through the window, and he said, yeah. he said, uh, describe what you see when you look out the window. And so we all start looking out, and we see trees and a sidewalk yeah. and some cars in a parking lot that's just out uh, at the end of the vision of through this window. It wasn't a very glamorous classroom. Um, and then he says, very few people see say that they see glass. Yeah, right. And yeah. then he starts to say that no matter who you are, you have an original perception of things and that's basically yeah. your that's basically your natural vision and then throughout life as your view of the world and and yourself changes you have the glass becomes corrective lenses right. it becomes the thing yeah. that but but initially when when you're brand new when you're a kid you you don't see that. You're like a fish in water. You don't know you're in water. You just you're just right. f- yeah. swimming because then that's what you do. Um, yeah. And then from there, like if you're introspective, if you if if you investigate things, and you might the the benefit of being human is that you can become aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Uh, right. And that includes your mental, your mental and intellectual surroundings, which yeah. Which is great and becomes a very fruitful exercise, but can also result in a lot of pain. Oh yeah. So that's. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm very I'm very fascinated with the idea of um, of like the of the the break or of the like of the idea of like a crisis, um, yeah. and and how that really can change and trans transform someone. Um, so you sort of alluded to, um, your experience in college and then throughout, uh, the Marine Corps and, and ever since, uh, what, what, was there an initial sort of catalyst that kind of propelled you on that, on, on that part of your understanding of your faith and of your philosophy of things? Ooh, yeah. Um, See, and I wish there was one, like one smoking gun, you know, like one thing you could point back and be like, oh, that, that one conversation with that professor just, just like purged my whole operation system. And, and there's not, um, though, so I can point to maybe four things that um, really ties very nicely into the propositional aspects of evangelical thinking. What, what do you have to affirm? in order to be in the club. Um, and I know there, you know, I, there are probably four or five things, but we can just look at four. Um, I don't know anybody who lost all four of them at once. Who's still a Christian. I mean, if you lost your view of scripture and you lost your view of the cross and you lost your view of, you know, what it means to be saved, you're probably done. You know, you're a Buddhist now, or, but rarely do people lose all four of these kind of pillars at once. Um, but in, in you know what, I guess that's like in my heart, in my warm, fuzzy heart here, I, I got tripped up on this stuff. And my message at the moment is like, look, look at my path, look at the things I went through and what I figured out, the doubts I had, the anxiety I had about it. And just know that if you're going through something like this as well, 
um, you know, maybe I can be a point of reference or like, maybe I can be some kind of indicator here that you're not a freak, that you're not, I don't think, in risk of eternal conscious torment with the devil and his angels. Um, you know, maybe you're not completely poisoned in the way I thought I was. Um, and so I don't know, maybe I, that can be my message here is like, look at my path. I'll describe what happened for me. Um, and so if you're on that path, you're in that transition yourself, know that it's okay. But you know what? Also, if you're an evangelical and you see someone else going through this, that's okay too. Like you need to understand they are experiencing a different expression of faith and you might be light on the judgment and you might be light on the condemnation because a lot of people were not with me. Um, and it's really hard to like shrug that off later on where it's like, you know what? I, <laughs> I feel like I'm closer to God than I've ever been, but I had to go through this unbelievably painful social wilderness to get through, to get there. Um, hmm. mm -hmm. Rant, rant over. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let's, I mean, if you're up for it, let's dive into like a functional definition of, of what does it mean to be evangelical? Like, what are the actual tenets, you know, that you, you might have to yeah, believe? I'm, I'm game for it. Let's do it. Cool. 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 Um, I guess. So the, the cheapest way, the cop out way is to kind of look at the work of David Bivington. I mean, he's a historian. He outlines several um, tenets here. I, that's great. I'm more um, concerned with contemporary American evangelical thought. Like I, I can't tell you much about the 1800s and, and what they thought about scripture. Um, I have enough stuff to do. Um, but <laughs> for now, in Protestant America, what does it look like? It's four things. Um, one, the first thing you kind of have to embrace to be evangelical is, well, there's no other way to say it, evangelizing. Some kind of activism, a tendency towards an active expression of your faith, not a passive expression, an active expression of sharing the gospel. Um, that's not just preaching. That can be social action as well. And so by all means, that's, that's an amazing thing and the world needs it. Um, that's the first one. And it's the easiest one to explain. It's like, if you want to be evangelical, you have to evangelize. Um, so far, so good. No big deal. Um, where it starts to get a little more unique would be the regard of scripture. So the second thing, would be an especially high view of the Bible. Um, and so you are going to have very distinct ideas about biblical authority, biblical inspiration, um, and really primacy of the New Testament texts. I mean, if it, if it really comes down to like what David thought or what Paul thinks, eh, I'm going to lean towards the latter. Um, you know, not to downplay David, that's great. Psalms, and I, I like Psalms, but, um, you know, when it really comes what does it mean? How does God view homosexuals? We're going to really focus in on Paul. Um, and so specifically on that one, inerrancy. Inerrancy is going to be a great, uh, you know, like your top tier gold standard evangelicals probably believe in the inerrancy, inerrancy of the Bible, simply meaning the Bible is without error. It is without fault in all of its teachings. Okay, easy enough. You can get away with believing in infallibility. Um, but quite frankly, I don't know that you're a great evangelical if you believe in infallibility. You need to step it up, buddy. Um, but infallibility, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you're starting to slip. 
There's all manner of yeah. I believe in I believe the scripture is inspired. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll give you that. There's all there's all all sorts of ways to sidestep it. If, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, infallibility, the Bible is trustworthy. It is a guide to salvation. I mean, it's it's gonna accomplish its purpose in terms of leading you to God. All right, you know, that's safe. Um you start going farther down the spectrum and yeah, you're into like, yeah, I think the Bible is inspired. Um, it, the problem with that is like, I, I think the Bible is inspired. I also think the Bodhisattva Charyavatara is inspired. I also think the Dhammapada is inspired. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, like there are things in here that around the world, there are scriptures that if you just have the courage to crack them open, you will see the heart of God. Um, but whoa, 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 that's whoa. Let's go easy on the uh, the comparative religions there, mysticism, for a moment. Um, <laughs> we can we can work our way there. <laughs> <laughs> so first one, you're evangelizing. Second one, and especially high view of the Bible. Uh, the the last two can kind of blur, um, but we'll treat them separately. Conversionism. So you need to be born again. Um, and specifically, it's it's ideal if you can give a date and a time where you prayed the sinner's prayer. And I'm not making light of this. I'm just saying, like, that's, that's some of the fine print here is, like, you know, do you really want to risk eternal damnation? Like, it's better to have that born-again moment where, um, you know, you, you signed the contract, we'll say. Um, and the the fourth one that ties very closely into that um, is is a certain view of the atonement is a very specific view of the cross um, and it's there are a few different ways to describe it but it's usually a specific model it's this terrible term the penal substitution model the weirdest theological term out there I'm uncomfortable with it I don't know why um, penal spelled with like penalty but <laughs> penal spelled like penalty but without the ty at the end. <laughs> Blake, I'm not going to spell it for you. It's just, I feel like it's inappropriate. Just, this is an audio podcast. I felt like it was necessary. <laughs> the, <laughs> it's oh, great. It's oh, no, a my legal term. Flaring up. Um, it's a legal no, term, no. people. <laughs> but, but yes, Christ died as a substitute for sinful humanity. Um, and the crux of it is by taking guilt onto himself by taking your punishment. And so if you if you were raised in Protestant America, this is probably what you believe. Um and and this is the trickiest one. This is the most difficult one to to find other options for because holy cow, you start messing with this, like you're you're putting all your money on the fact that you're not messing with something completely sacred. You want to start messing around with like the cross um, you can just guarantee that you're going to have a few restless nights of fear of damnation and that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I went through that. Um, good news is there were probably five or six other models out there. Um, these are models. These are theological constructs that we came up with to explain something that we're not quite sure how it works. We're yeah. not quite sure of how the mechanics of salvation really work. Um, but those are the four pillars. You're evangelizing. You got a specially high view of the Bible. Um, there's a there's a born again moment conversionism, and then some kind of cross centric view of the atonement, uh, specifically God punished Jesus for our sin. 
Um, and so I can walk through and say what broke for me on all of those. It was something specific for each of them. Um, but a lot of the people that, that I kind of have this conversation with, it's like, yeah, you're describing Christianity, right? I mean, you're describing like Jesus and without those things, I, I don't recognize anything outside of, you know, the Christian faith. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And oh my gosh there's so much more there's so much outside of it there are pre-denominational views of what it means to have a relationship with god there are eastern orthodox views there were i mean there's so much more but um i guess it would be responsible for me to say you know to the post-evangelicals out there to the ex-evangelicals look if someone is here if they're working within these four pillars and their needs are met their social, their cognitive, their spiritual needs are met. Let them be. Like, if they have a functional relationship with God here, then don't don't be the one always trying to kick down these pillars just because you can. Um, I, I don't ever want to be that person that just constantly tears down the framework of others. What I want to do is help them expand, I don't know, to fill their space that they're in. And if or when that balloon pops, I want to be there you know, calmly sipping coffee, ready to help them find <laughs> north again. But but just I don't know. It, it's so easy to get jaded and burnt with this. And you try to burn these structures to the ground. And you have to remember people live in these structures. Um, I, I'm, I've got the cool scars to tell you. If you try to engage with this stuff and throw little rocks at it, people are going to take it like you're throwing rocks at their face. You're basically throwing rocks at Jesus. Um and it's not going to get you anywhere. But just let it be. It's okay. It's a certain vehicle, to use a Buddhist term, in, an, in a way to have a relationship with God. Okay, so that was my responsible disclaimer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's that's completely that's completely valid. I I mean I the this the show is a is about exploring the things inside and outside of evangelicalism. Yeah. So, I mean, people it's people don't walk straight lines with this sort of <laughs> stuff, you know. I, I think it Luther that has a has a metaphor about a drunk falling off a horse, yeah. getting yeah. back on and falling <laughs> off the other side. You yeah. know, it's and so I mean, that's that's the way a lot of us even if we are very interested, like no matter where you are on the sort of spectrum of being highly engaged yeah. with this sort of stuff or um, or you're more passive about it and you're participating in a, in a more quote casual way. Uh, people, people change. Yeah. And, and so, and so honestly it, it's, it's about giving people their due respect. And so it needs to go both ways. Just like you, just like you said, I think that's a very healthy disclaimer yeah. to make. You made one earlier <laughs> towards the people that are towards evangel towards evangelicals that are, um, that are seeing other people explore outside of Christianity. Um, that's healthy. That's good. Yeah. And it's also, if someone's not, if someone's not equipped to do that, not, not ready, not willing to do that, then that needs to be, you can, you can bring up your perspective. You can share your perspective. The wonderful, yeah. the wonderful thing about pluralism and about postmodernism is that it allows that. And I, the one thing I think, yeah, is that I know that in some circles, like 
postmodernism is like a dirty word, but it's like, oh yeah, watch yourself. <laughs> but it's everybody. it's yeah, it's unavoidable. It's the <laughs> default. It's it's the the age we live in. Um, so it's yeah yeah. If you especially if you have a, a global perspective, like you said, you have to adapt that sort of. Yeah. You have to suspend your own judgment in order to hear someone's perspective, and that's valuable. That's absolutely valuable and essential. Um, and if I, if if people hear this conversation and their and their pers- their perspectives are affirmed or their perspectives are challenged, if they're if they're challenged, then I hope it's done in a gentle way that that prods them on to explore yeah. these things more sincerely. And, um, it's a great disclaimer. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I do want to backtrack a little bit, um, yeah. and kind of, yeah, yeah. I think this idea of, um, of substitution, of penal substitution, <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Sad trombone. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, about about the cross. I I think that is one of the definitely one of the most essential aspects of um of evangelicalism and especially because it's it's like yeah. very easy. I think it's why John 3:16 is like the verse it is, the yeah, verse yeah. of of note because it kind of fits into that model very easily for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it fits that perfectly. <laughs> and then it gives you, so it gives you the framework in which you can react through the conversion you mentioned. So it's the under, it's the underlying right. presupposition yeah, yeah. that allows you to acknowledge your sin, acknowledge that Jesus was a substitute for your sin and for all mankind's sin. Therefore, what you do in reaction to this mysterious moment in which uh g k Chesterton says like God was estranged from God, yeah, you know right, uh, and there's these crazy mystical sort of interpretations of this moment in history, um but this is a very straightforward one in comparison, I think, um yeah, so what are a couple of uh, what are a couple of different models um, yeah. that you've come across? We don't have to go through all of them, but let's just uh, let's just give our listeners a, a little <laughs> a little taste of what's available outside of um, outside of uh, the this the penal substitute. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And see, this is like, so in terms of the four pillars, this is usually the last one to go because it's like, all right, again, you're fiddling with the mechanics of salvation. What are you doing? You know, and this is like anyone who loves you in your life, if you start exploring this stuff, they should be like, <laughs> what are you doing? Because I want to see you in heaven. And why are you messing with this? Um, it, so here's a, a few fun facts that, they they don't it doesn't dispel all the anxiety but it is important to look at in terms of church councils we have never had a moment where we all got together like the council of nicaea or something like this and said ah got it this is how atonement works this is how messy humans are reconciled to a perfect god um, there's never been a consensus and so to a certain degree you've got some flexibility in how you fiddle around with 
this stuff. Um, and that sounds cavalier. I don't mean for that to be, but like the Nicaean, the Council of Nicaea. All right, we we nailed down some really specifics about Jesus and how it worked. And, and there's all these amazing stories about like fist fights and you know it, it, amazing reads <laughs> about what that process looked like. We've never done it with this, and so what that means is one would do well to start to explore the genealogy of ideas. And, and I understand that some of the stuff is a sacred cow. The Trinity is a great example as well. But start to reverse engineer it. Look back and say, where did this come from? Is it because it's not straight out of the Greek squiggles? Um, where did this come from? It came from Anselm. Spoiler alert. Um, but um, so look at <laughs> look at the genealogy of the ideas. Where did the doctrine of original sin come from? Augustine. Where did the Trinity come from? Boy, that's a mess. Where did um, guilt come from in the way we usually use it? Calvin. Where did this particular model of the atonement come from? Anselm in the 11th century. And so when you see it this way, that we constructed this way of explaining redemption, it starts to relativize it a little bit, just a little bit. And that's all you need to see that there are other seemingly valid models out there. And let's hit a few here. Um, and so I'm just some guy. If if you don't believe me, check out people. I mean, I'd say oh, J. Denny Weaver um, is one who talks about a lot of about of um, a nonviolent atonement. Um, Tony Jones, Sharon Put. These are people who have done an amazingly clear job of summarizing a really complicated issue here with atonement. Um, but so the main one, the penal one, um, it, here's, here's my caricature of it. And I'm not making light, but at the same time, it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. And so here's the way I kind of see it. Um, it. It's coming down to, again, God punished Jesus for our sin. Um, you were at some point, you know, you humanity are so broken and sinful and dirty that you can never pay back God for your sins. Um, you can never settle the balance. Um, you don't, and you never will have enough money in your bank account, whatever metaphor you want to use. And, and really, the problem here is that God is so set in God's ways that there's, there's no way God's going to forgive the debt. Someone has to pay. And so really, God demanded blood. God demands blood before God is able or willing to have a relationship with any of us again. Sorry. Um, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Who would want to start a relationship on those terms? Um, but again, you, you have to take 10 steps back before you can even critique it that way. Um, so God punishes Jesus for a sin. Um, the only type of person who could pay this debt is someone who has no transgressions himself. Luckily, someone like this appears in first century Palestine. Um, and so on the cross, God redirects and projects all of God's anger at the person of Jesus. Um, so, so I mean, someone was sure as hell going to pay for the times that the law was broken. Um, and so through the murder of an innocent man, I don't know, suddenly God is satisfied and the debt is paid. And so now you're able to be settled up with God. Um, in the, the phrase you hear, you know, when God looks at you, God sees Jesus. Not you. God doesn't see Blake. God sees Jesus. Um, so again, a weird relationship note there. Um, but there's, there's still some fine print. Yeah. Yes. Jesus paid your debt and you can be reconciled. 
if and only if you sign up for the bank account that Jesus deposited this money into. Um, I mean, so if you sign up for this bank account, all's going to be well. If you don't, you're still kind of hosed because for some reason, God is still a little miffed about the whole situation. And God is not going to hesitate to let you spend eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire. Um, and so quick summary of it. Basically, God came to punish God's self in order to save us from the system that God had set up. Um, I don't know about you, but this to me, it's a violent, complicated model that only makes sense if you force it to with several years practice. And again, I know this is sacred to people, so if it's working, keep it going. But the point here is this is I'm actually a little encouraged. That model is slowly starting to lose some of its privilege as the only way of explaining how we can come into a meaningful, functional relationship with God. Um, and so there's probably five other models. Let me ramble through them. Um, something in addition to the penal substitution here. The big So when you look back in history— the probably one of the earliest models you'd see at Christus, the Christus Victor model. Um, so it's called different things, the victory model. I mean, the idea is that um, Satan or evil holds the world in captivity. Um, so we're, we're kind of prisoners to the diabolical demonic forces. Um, but when Jesus dies on the cross, he has rescued everyone from this. Um, so we're, we're now in this kind of interim time, um, and it might not seem like he won when you look around the world. It, we're, we're almost in this awkward interim of time where the battle's been won, but we don't know it yet. Uh, Tony Jones tells the story of it's a World War II soldier that's on an island in the Philippines, and it's like 25 years after the war is over. Uh, they found this guy still standing there with his rifle. You know, to him, the war was not over. Although, like in reality, it had long since been won, um, but, but not so for him. That's kind of where we are. That's kind of this weird interim mm -hmm. phase now um, where it's like Christ is won, but we, we haven't figured it out. It's, so that's one model. That doesn't work for a lot of people, but it's out there. Um, it, the one that does a little better, it, Peter Avalard, you might call it like the magnet theory or it's the Middle Ages. It's a theory that enjoyed prominence there. The point is that Christ went to the cross to draw us to God. Um, and it's this amazing act that is intended to be so overwhelming, you know, the act that God took a human form and was willing to suffer and die like this, that we are irresistibly drawn to the love of God. Um, so, yeah, there's still some things that work out there, but it's another model. Um, a third one maybe that you see in Eastern Orthodoxy, the divinity model, and it's it takes some time to wrap your head around it, but the idea is we each have within us a spark of divinity, but because of, I don't know, of Adam's sin, um, death has come to us, and we've lost contact with who we really are. And so Jesus came to reignite that divine spark, and the cross was a part of that. Um, you see that in the Orthodox Church. The one, the, the last model here, and the one that I'm very partial to it's Rene Girard and you can see it. So it's mimetic theory, or you can see it's like the mirror theory. Um, and that's that when God 
hangs on the cross in the form of Jesus is reflecting back to us what our violence always does. Um, and I, I realize here this is some of my baggage from like combat, I guess, or like my aversion to violence anymore. But it's God showing us where violence always and inevitably ends. And that is violence, religious violence especially, ends in death. It doesn't solve our problems. It doesn't reconcile relationships. It ends in death. And so Jesus was the last scapegoat, so to say. Um, And it's there to show that scapegoating like this falls short. I absolutely love this um, because it shows that that violence doesn't solve violence. Uh, There's even a line in the Dhammapada that that uses the image of trying to clean out a wine stain with more wine. Um, This is as effective as violence is. And so um, what Jesus was exposing were kind of the powers that support the cycle of violence. Um, he's shown us that it's not supposed to be like this way. Um, there, there's a new way. And the whole point of it is what is that way? Well, it's, it's how he lived his life. It's how it's what he taught. It's what he demonstrated to say that this is how you are reconciled with God. This is the way you treat people. And this is the way you love your neighbor. And this is the way you forgive people. The point is not that God needed blood or that God needed the suffering of an innocent man before he could have a valid relationship with you again. No. Um, so that's what four or five other theories out there. I, I know it's hard to even like approach for the first time, I think, but it opens up a whole nother element of salvation. It opens up a whole nother definition even to say that, you can see this in the patristics the incarnation itself was salvific divinity took on humanity that was salvific in itself and had jesus stopped there or had jesus died of natural causes we'd still have what we need for redemption we still have jesus showing us how to align our thoughts and words and deeds with the character of god um so whew, rant over. I mean, this is just something that's like, the point I'm trying to make is if you find yourself in a bit of a theological wilderness where it's like, this doesn't make sense anymore. The idea that um, God came to punish God's self in order to save us from the system that God had set up. If that doesn't make sense to you, don't force it. There are, I mean, what, 1500 years worth of other ideas we've had out there. Um, so let me just, holy cow, let me like drink more of my non-alcoholic bourbon here and catch my breath. What do you think? I mean, are these things <laughs> something that are even approachable to people today? Um, or are these so foreign that, you know, it, it's a lost cause? Like now it's penal substitution or nothing. <clears throat> I think there are a lot of, a lot of these models have a lot of resonance for for people. I I yeah. think that just as sort of the current expression of evangelicalism is losing influence in the overall culture. I think that's because it's sort of I don't know how to phrase it. It's it's shortcomings. I'm going to use that again. It's like it's short shortcomings sort of yeah are made are made bear 
Yeah. And one of them is the way that you, you sort of talked about. So God set up this system that was rigged so only he could do this. And he didn't really want to do it. It, it I mean, because he's angry. Like, yeah. he's angry. But right. he's also he's also loving. Um, but, you know, like, and it's really hard right. to reconcile a God that requires vengeance and one yeah. that's, that, you know, First John says God is love. You know, it's like, how do you reconcile those things? It's, it, and honestly, <laughs> I think, um, I, I think that as modern contemporary Christianity kind of continues, I think it has to be able to accept these other sorts of perspectives and draw on their historical relevance. Um, because it, it will be grounded in that. The the great thing about having a 2,000-year-old faith is that you're going to find someone in that cloud of witnesses that's going to resonate with you and that is yeah. going to have a perspective that gives you a glimpse of the divine as understood through our tradition. And I think, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said of um, the final one you mentioned, which is that God reveals the absurdity of violence, um, right. of the of the nature of it, and how what it does is it it breaks down relationships, and the part in which we are actually restored through the relationship is by the other side of the story, which is the resurrection part of the story, and when he comes back from that. That's when, um, that's part of it too. That's part of the story of the cross is that that's not the end and with, with Orthodox Christianity, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't know. I, 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 I I know that there's a lot more that I'm going to have to look into too. I mean, and I think that like the cross is a mystery that will always, It'll always be something to wrestle with. There's, I don't think there will be a final word on it, and I think that's a, <laughs> I think that's a good thing to be honest. Um, so, so yeah. I, I don't know. Sorry, that was a my my rambling response to that. Um, yeah, no, no. Hey, I, <laughs> I invoke it. Um, <laughs> right, and it's. I mean, the other way, the way I've like kind of made sense of this is that these models, they're constructs. And that means, and so they appear sound and obvious to those who accept them. Uh, but in actuality, it's an invention of a particular community, or it's an invention of a certain kind of thought community. Again, so if you accept it, it makes sense, and you can find scripture to support it. If you do not accept it, it will not make sense, and you will not find scripture to support it. It has nothing to do with almost God, and it has everything to do with what we bring to the table, our epistemic bias, um, and our agenda, and also, I mean, how interested we are in digging into this stuff as well. Um, so I I don't know. I never fault anybody for finding a, a certain model that's out there. Um, just realize it's a model. There's lots of them out there. Um, and no one holds the copyright to like the, the heavenly approved kind of version of the atonement <sighs> exclusively yeah. <laughs> for sure. So I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction. Now. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned that 
that your experience in the Marine Corps gave you a more global perspective. You've also given, um, made mention of a couple of different scriptures from the Hindu tradition and from, I believe, the Buddhist tradition. And this is something I, I know about you personally. You've invested a lot of time in investigating these other traditions. Yeah. Can you... I don't even know. I don't even know how to open it up to you, because um, I'm honestly, you are leaps and bounds beyond me in your exploration of these things. No, I'm I, honestly because I, uh, I mean, I've read portions of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. I've read the life of parts of the life of Buddha, and that was part of a like Asian religion in cinema or some sort of class <laughs> like that. You know, yeah, it was right. all an- it was ancillary to the experience, like. <laughs> Um, so anyways, I mean, you, you have a wealth of knowledge here and I want to tap it. So, um, I, I want to start just more by where you see resonance within the Christian tradition and these other, in these other traditions and also kind of your, your perspective about comparative religion in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really funny because there's it would normally take so much time to bridge these things at all. But actually, so the atonement is, it's the only leaping point. Um, because what is the one thing that, that keeps people from exploring other religions? It's like, well, but yeah, Jesus on the cross. I mean, you know, that's great. Buddha did his thing and, um, and Muhammad, he said some great things or whatever, but Jesus on the cross. Um, and so once the specific model of the atonement has start, started to be relativized a bit, um, you might find yourself, and like in my case, you might find yourself with a different concept of salvation. Um, and this is so. This will come across a little pluralistic, and eh, I guess if the shoe fits, I'll wear it. But that's not my agenda here. Um, where I have landed, I, I guess, um, in terms of other religions or other faith communities. Um, is bridged directly by this concept of salvation that I was just talking about. Um, And that's um, what salvation means to me is aligning oneself with the character of God. Um, And so you can even start to use the word like theosis. There's this gorgeous Eastern Orthodox and just Orthodox term out there that just means like we are becoming more like God. And if we're thinking the thoughts that God would think. And if we're doing the things that are in line with the character of God, then eventually your entire path starts to align with the character of God. Um, so far, so good. That's not too sketchy. Where I've deviated, I guess, is in the idea that um, in order to be saved, you have to have right theology. That theological precision it is ultimately the entrance criteria for heaven. Um, because that's another aspect of evangelical thinking is that everything's kind of about heaven in terms of salvation. Um, yeah, we like the environment and, and we'll do some things to help the community, but you know what? Like one fine morning when this life is over, I'm done with this crap. I'm done with this planet because I'm going to, I, I think of it as celestial retirement. <laughs> I, I've done my work. I'm done working. I'm going to enjoy the presence of God and, I, I have a big beef with this as well, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I get <laughs> surprise. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we should we should talk about that sometime. Yeah. Um, 
But it's this image of, you know, no one says it, but if you embrace these four kind of ideals of the evangelical, the evangelical pillars, I guess, these are theological propositions. And so what you are saying, whether you mean to or you know it or not, is that you have to have right theology to get into heaven. And it's just this image. I mean, I've made a caricature of it, but the heavenly admittance process is St. Paul or whoever we say is actually guarding the gates, administering a short theology quiz at the reception line of the pearly gates. Because that's what this is all about, is getting into heaven. Um, and so if you didn't have a picture Bible growing up, and so you've got plausible deniability, maybe that theological quiz is true or false. You know, it's like, hey, is Jesus the son of God? Yes or no? 50-50? Yeah? Okay, you're in. But those who've heard this story before, it's short answer, pal. This theology quiz is short answer. It's not multiple choice. I'm sorry. Um, so this is the image of heavenly admittance on the basis of propositional affirmation, saying that only by embracing correct theology does one attain salvation. Um, this has been a huge problem for me and in, in my evangelical plight, um, because I see theology as uh, the path, not the destination. The value I place in theology is the effect it has on your mind. And so if you're believing things that make you more predisposed to, I don't know, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, then we're on the straight and narrow. The problem is that in probably 11 out of 12 major world religions, you can find beliefs that will lead one to cultivate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these things. Um, and if you don't have this kind of um, velvet rope of the penal substitution model of the atonement, then really you have to ask yourself a question. You have to ask yourself, like, is it possible to be aligned with God? Um, is, is, is alignment with God possible through other spiritual traditions? Um, there's no way I'm going to answer that question on the record here because <laughs> to like – the mail of like I'm praying for you and I'm disappointed in you and your dad never would have said this you know it's just unbearable um <laughs> but wink wink I think the answer's implied um and so for me it's a pretty easy test let's quote Kevin right here again fruit of the spirit um what does this theology what does this soteriology what do the teachings of the buddha what do the kind of concepts in that foreign scripture, what are their fruit? Because I don't know how else to account for it when the fruit is stuff that sure looks and smells like the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I don't know. And so I'm, I will never try to talk people into this stuff because Again, it, if your path is working for you, if you're drawing closer to God, and if you're, you know, if you're aligning with the divine, then um, great. But I can tell you, it's one model. <laughs> and, and again, the, the postmodern soup we find ourselves in, you can hate it or you can accept it and work through it. But um, yeah, so that's a 
that's a really dodgy answer to your question about world religions. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I think, uh, I, yeah, and and how how does an evangelical answer that? <laughs> how does how does yeah. someone even coming from evangelicalism answer that? <laughs> it's right. uh, it's tricky. It it feels like you're walking through uh, to use a to use a military picture. You're walking through a minefield, <laughs> like yeah. Uh, so, sure. um, uh, but just to bring it back to something, something maybe a little practical. How have these sorts of investigations? How do you feel they've benefited you? How do you feel like you've been enriched in your pursuit of your understanding of God or of the world or the universe or? How are you choose to frame it at any given point? Yeah, Ugh, that's that's an ugly one because um. So here's a short answer. It's so like me personally on my path. Um, it, my path is it's never been more clear. Um, and I tell you, there's there's a lot of practices I do that you know a lot of people wouldn't recognize as Christian per se. Um, but again, the fruit of those help me domesticate my inner demons and they help me become more compassionate. And it's not just that they, they um, invoke these characteristics, but it makes me take responsibility for the suffering of others. And, and I don't know what's more Christ-like. I'm, I'm not like plugging myself here saying like, Oh man, check it out. I'm just saying like for my path as nonlinear as it may seem to people, um, I've never imagined that mm, that I could perceive being so near to the heart of God. Um, so that's that's like the answer in terms of the social aspect of it. it it's been a nonstop. Um, <laughs> it, it's not been fun. It's really not. Um, it, but I realize I've learned a lot of lessons along the way about like how to package this stuff to people and developmentally, like, you know, if they're in a different place and I'm in a different place, then like we can have some conversations, but we shouldn't really try to impose our structures on each other because it's not going to work and it just leads to conflict. And then, um, I don't know. So for me, spiritually, it's, it's been great, um, the, the inner demons I've worked through, I guess, since being back home and everything, I, I can tell you, like, my meditative practice is the reason I'm alive. Um, I mean, it's the reason that I'm I'm sane. And uh, there was just a point for me where, like, the evangelical solution, like, throw Bible verses at a problem, it didn't work anymore. Like, if you're having survivor's guilt or for anyone else who's been through trauma, you know, if you're having anxiety or nightmares or you feel like your soul is damaged or that like there's enough blood on your hands that there's no way you could ever have a right relationship with God, um, throwing Bible verses at those people is not going to work. You have to do something that's much more contemplative. Um, it, you have to talk to somebody really. You have to talk to a counselor. Um, but I don't know. So, so it's not been fun on the social landscape of it all um, in, in terms of how the majority of my evangelical friends and family responded. But, but at the same time, I guess I should say there have been a lot of people as well that 
that have have loved me um and shown a healthy curiosity and and been supportive along the way as well mm. <laughs> yeah that's i mean that that's uh i i think i like what you i like what you said i like everything that you said um yeah <laughs> but uh i what you said about kind of a a framework or someone may not be able to fit that into their framework and you're just in a different yeah. developmental place that is yeah. very um it's very difficult and part of part of this these sorts of conversations like the one we're having right now is because we have a common framework and even if it's yeah. it, even if it was just the starting point and that's really and if you feel like you've moved beyond or that's really hard to communicate to someone that's one of the oh my god it's one of the hardest things to communicate because you have to be yeah. so very specific and art, and articulate <laughs> and sometimes in a moment you can't do that uh yeah. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, it's been, there are, oh my gosh, there are so many issues that just, I mean, they, they cannot and should not be communicated. And especially you start talking about the developmental angle. Anybody who starts to talk about themselves as like developmentally higher or more sophisticated or something. Wow. You're burning a bridge right then and there. Um, it, and, and I mean, stages of development, it's so tricky to find language for this stuff. Um, Gene Gebser, there's there, like the preeminent kind of sociologist and mystic. He uses the word mutation, where it's like, I've just mutated in a different way than you've mutated in terms of developmental <laughs> stages. When it's like, oh, okay, that's, yeah. that's pretty impartial. That, that, um, that feels... And gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels that definitely feels less... Uh... J- judgy. <laughs> yeah, we're just damaged in different ways. That's all. Which actually works pretty nicely, I think. Your radiation was different than my radiation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh yeah. and uh I yeah, and I I feel um to go on a little bit of a tangent even though it's related. I feel like mysticism is something that's anything related to anything remotely somewhat mystical, even if it's couched within Christian tradition, it's very yeah. hard to converse about if, if you haven't I don't either read the same texts or heard the same people speak. Yeah. Um, I'm really trying to think uh, the thing, the example I have in my mind is that the hand, the handful of books by Richard Rohr that I've read, uh, yeah. and he's one of my favorites right now. And he's and he's yeah. kind of equipped me to sort of see things differently uh, and in a more positive way than I was feeling for a long time. Um, yeah, and that's uh, I I consider that like a redemptive work because he redeemed. Oh man, he redeemed my understanding of certain aspects of Christianity and it widened yeah. it. It widened my perspective, and that's kind. Yeah, and to me, that's. That is the what keeps the kind of curiosity going is seeing how wide yeah. how wide can can all this go what what happens <laughs> next <laughs> yeah. what happens next when, and is is God there am I there like God's God's right. probably already out there somewhere I'm just not to that point yet um right. and he'll probably just be waiting for me out there um <laughs> yeah but who knows so no very. 
very true point. There's a there's a model I like. It's something worth googling. Spiral dynamics, and basically it's a it's a a model of growth, and it even loops in spiritual aspects too. But instead of like A to B line that, that in the West we love to talk about, like linear development, it just picture an upward spiral where it's like all right, you hit a certain phenomenon or a topic or whatever, and you're, you're at a certain kind of location developmentally. Give it two years, and by the time you boomerang back to that thing, it's the same phenomenon, but you're seeing it as if you're a whole new person, and you're just in a different spot. And it's just, it's this beautiful image of the spirals going up, and, um, and it makes a lot of sense to me, exactly like you're saying, where you suddenly you can re-engage with things, with scripture, with tradition, with ritual. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like the first time I've, I've ever taken the elements, or this is the first time I've ever read the Sermon on the Mount or something. Um, and it's, yeah, plug for mysticism right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, and it's a very, very new sort of thing that I'm, uh, I'm definitely leaning on people like you and Steven and others that I know that have (laughs) explored it and, and much, much more detail than I've gotten to yet. But I mean, it's, (laughs) it's like, it's piqued my interest very, very much so because it, it is such a inclusive thing. And in a society where Christianity is sometimes given as the example of some, something that's very exclusive, and excludes right. people. Uh, it's kind of refreshing to see the faith that that you were born in be <laughs> be seen yeah. in a more positive yeah. light, be understood in yeah. a more positive light, and not as some not as something that needs to be run from necessarily. <laughs> yeah. So that's you know what. So you brought this up. This is like my last soapbox. I'm done soapboxing after this. But to me, there's a t- difference between being post-evangelical and like maybe ex-evangelical um and it's the exact same thing like think of the last person you saw go through a really nasty breakup like that that couple when they engage with each other again if they're angry and like there's tension and it's just you know feral well they're they're not over each other yet like there's still hostility because they've not come into a good relationship again with each other but when you see people that you know, after a nasty breakup, five years later or whatever, they're friends again. Well, they've reconciled the relationship. And to me, I, I consider myself a post-evangelical. Like, I don't have a beef with evangelical thought. I've completely come to grips with the role it had in my life, in my faith, in my relationships. And if you're an evangelical, like, I'm happy for you if that helps you come closer to God. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to burn the structure to the ground. Um, and it's exactly like you're saying, you can start to re-engage with this stuff suddenly with, I don't know, grace, I don't know, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. some kind of, yeah, some kind of empathy and compassion. Um, so if I have to peg myself as anything, it's like a post evangelical or like a recovering evangelical, uh, not so much someone who's out to like nuke the thing from orbit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but that's just no. Me. Yeah, and that's a, that's a that's a healthy perspective. It's you know, um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a great way to 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 be able to frame yourself. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. That's it. No. No more. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm I'm depleted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything else you want to yeah. anything else you want to touch on? I I think we oh we gosh. we've uh, really packed a lot into this. So I'm. <laughs> I mean. No, I, yeah, I better call it quits. I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this, for your, your project, um, because there are people, and I could name you the names, who've, keep, to keep the analogy going, who've waded through this wilderness, who've, who've made it through this wilderness, um, and they've come out of it thinking they lost their faith. They come out, they come out of it thinking that they're damaged and that they'll never have a good relationship with God again because the cross doesn't make sense and because scripture like they can't literally affirm that Methuselah was 969 years old I, I can't affirm that anymore um and so I'm going to hell like no there's so much more um and I, I want to be someone who's there to help people like kind of it's like jumping out of a moving car man like someone to just help them tuck and roll and like <laughs> nail the landing at some point. Um, so I don't know if there's ever anything I can do to anyone who's listening or to, you know, any of the other guests or anything like that. Um, hit me up. Uh, let's talk. Um, I'll do whatever I can. Yeah. And uh, I can absolutely affirm that Kyle is a very giving person <laughs> and he will, he, he will be true to his word. Um, where can people find you online, Cal? Oh, um, so I'm like, I'm just coming out of my cave now, like in a writing career. And so I'm trying to get the, the side up. I'm trying to get this stuff up and running at kyleparton.com. I guess I'll do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Plug it, man. It, plug it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. That's where you need to be. Um, get your shirt, get your t-shirt, get your keychain. <laughs> No, no. So, and there you can find whatever. If you want to see my sense of humor get me in trouble, you can find me on Twitter there. Um, if you want to see my inflated professional achievements, you can see me on LinkedIn. Um, what I'd love to do is, you know, I mean, I have a Facebook page too. I, I just love to engage with people in their their crazy thoughts on this type of thing. Um, so hit me up on the Facebook page. I don't know. Follow the blog. Get my free developmental propaganda. Um, <laughs> And and let's just talk. I don't know. I mean, let's let's walk the path together. And uh, what what about your your publishing project, Epiphany Publishing? Talk a little bit oh. about that. Yeah, that's so that thing. Um, yeah, so that's fun. It's it's like this scrappy kind of um, publishing company. That's you know, if, if there are people who who write uh, who've got a, a message, I guess that's transformational. Something that's that ties on any of these themes, um, hit us up, epiphanypublishing.us. I mean, check us out. Um, send us a manuscript. We, we'd love to read it. I'm reading this stuff constantly. <laughs> Good and bad manuscripts. Just just constantly. Um, <laughs> and, and if there's something that you think would be a catalyst for change on any of these topics, I mean, hit us up. Um, and, and we'll start a dialogue and see what makes sense. And maybe, I don't no, maybe we could be a platform for you um, if it's a voice that would have the, the, the impact that you know could help people kind of align with God or, or otherwise catalyze them along their path. That's great. Thanks very much, Kyle, for joining me. I had a great time yeah. talking. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you.